Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. I'm telling you, this was one of those weekends that I wish it never ended. And it's not that I, you know, did so many fantastic things. I didn't. It was a, kind of a peaceful weekend. I did do some things. Um, I went to see a, uh, another tribute band. This one was, um, the, uh, Carol King tribute band. And, you know, I'm starting to get like really, um, <laughs> what's the word? Um, I expect a lot. And if I don't get a lot, I'm disappointed, you know, cause I saw that Carpenters tribute band that was just off the chain and I want every one of them to be that good, but. Uh, this one wasn't. It was, uh, you know, it was a night out right here in my community. I just, we don't, if I had a golf cart, I could have taken my golf cart there. You know, I, I probably could have walked, only it's walking back that would have, you know, just been hard because, you know, I go to bed early. I, it's like I'm, I'm reading a book now. And I, I did part of my No Restraint podcast that should be dropping this week. Part of it is about how, like, I'm on the, end tail or the tail end of a remarkable life i i i really if if i were to pass tomorrow by some extraordinary circumstance i have no regrets um i really don't and i have led a truly remarkable life not because of anything i deserved but because i you know that, that that's just how good god has been to me and I'm reading this book by Kirk Douglas. It's the last book that he wrote. He was 90 years old when he started writing it. I think he was like 92 when he finished it. And he talks about how with all of the success and all of the fame and all of the, you know, prestige and, and congressional medals uh, and, you know, uh, I mean, you must admit, when you think about Kirk Douglas, you think about, uh, you know, a fantastic actor with a storied career, right? Or at least that's what I think about. You know, like one of my favorite movies from childhood was Spartacus. And it remains one of my favorite. It's timeless, right? You know, there he is. You know, I am Spartacus. They all jumped up. As a matter of fact, when Michael Savage was going through some nonsense, I started a campaign. I am Michael Savage. Because that line became so uh, fundamental to standing with your brothers and sisters in a moment when, you know, when the, the bad guys are trying to get them. But this book has really reminded me that in the end, you don't think about all the uh, applause and all the speeches you made and all the people who congratulated you and all the awards you won. You don't. You don't think about that in the last stages of life. You think about the people that you loved. You think about the people who loved you. You think about the losses. You know, he, um, he and his wife, Anne, had buried their youngest child. And 
you know, I've I've been through that pain with with my husband. I, I understand that you know that that's life changing, but it's the love that you remember the most. You know the the little moments. You know, which is why I do not deprive myself. This week I uh, made some you know plans, and uh, my kids got some tickets for me to go out and visit. Uh, you know. Uh, two grandkids that are in L.A. and two that are in San Francisco. I can't do it the same days, you know, so I have to be two little trips scheduled around that, and it'll be not immediately, but in, in March sometime. And when I was doing it, you know, my, my work ethic gets all up in my face, and it's just like, well, you can't take off, you know, a beginning and an end of a month. That's, a, you know, the, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. And then I remembered what Kirk Douglas was saying. Like, in the end, all he thought about was his, you know, was his grandkid jumping into the pool and looking back at him and saying, Poppy, look. And I get that. You know, at this stage of my life, I get that. I was too busy working and building a career and building businesses and build, trying to, you know, recover from a failed marriage to have enjoyed as many of those moments as I wish now I could remember. But with my grandkids, I have the luxury you know, that's why when people say, oh, I wish I could have skid skipped over the kids part and gone right to the grandkids. No, you don't. What you didn't do then, you get to do now. Like experience those moments. And I'm not going to deprive myself of any of those moments. You know, I'm just not. I, I, I don't know how many opportunities I'll get. You know, uh, I got Dan is going to be 16 in two weeks. Uh, ben is already... Um, you know, coming up on his 11th birthday, the littlest one is going to be four soon. And, and the, you know, and then I got the two seven-year-olds or six and seven-year-olds, but almost seven. And yeah, how many more times are they going to look back from jumping into the pool and say, Bubby, look, you know, I, I don't, I don't have any guarantees about that. So it was fascinating. You know, that's why sometimes I have to turn off all the news feeds and just cut the doom scrolling, right? Because what when you looked at what w was unfolding this weekend, you had this massive double earthquake in Turkey. Now, you know, I, I don't have a lot of uh, friends or I don't know that I have any friends that come from Turkey or any, I don't know anybody who's currently living in Turkey. I don't even know any missionaries in Turkey, all the missionaries I know in other places. So it's not that it was personal, but it's just, it's so, um, it's so profound. You know, if you're a believer like I am, you know, th this is what the, the last book of the Bible talks about. It talks about, you know, wars and rumors of wars. Well, we certainly see that in Ukraine and Russia and Syria and in, in Israel. It's all over the place, right? And it talks about all of these uh, natural disasters, earthquakes and you know, these the plagues and, and, and we just came through COVID and now they're threatening us with another round of something that's kind of like COVID. I don't know. You know, there's just, if you doom scroll, you can, go, you can drive yourself crazy. And even someone like me who says, well, this is, you know, it's written about in the book and it's about to, you know, it's all kind of happening and I shouldn't be surprised. But it's not that I'm surprised. It's just that I don't want to think about such things all the time. You know, I'm tired of thinking about who's calling who a racist. 
again this weekend. You know, the black leaders of Miami calling Ron DeSantis a racist and having to take it back. And, you know, Whoopi Goldberg and Sonny Hostin, you know, talking about him being a racist. It's just, it, it's, it's, it gets to you. It really does. It starts to, to poison um, your insides, you know. You, you, I got people who come to me and say, look, I'm having chest pains. Am I having a heart attack? I say, how much news did you read today? And then they tell me, you know, uh, put the news down. <laughs> You're not having a heart attack. You have agita or indigestion or something. Happened with a close friend of mine on Thursday. She thought she was, uh, you know, having a heart attack. I said, no, 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 no. It's indigestion because you're, you know, she's involved in a very traumatic family, uh, you know, thing. And I said, no, 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 no. It's not a heart attack. You know, it, for women, we feel it in the arm. <laughs> and uh, and I comforted her. And indeed, she, you know, she was able to, you know, slug down uh, something and, and burp and felt much better. And... But it's that doom scrolling that is just, it'll drive you crazy. This is what I saw. I took a, um, a screenshot of it just so I wouldn't forget. Uh, Disney Plus has a cartoon now that says slaves built this country. Okay. Uh, black leaders publicly apologize to Ron DeSantis uh, for calling him a racist. Okay. All right. Then it was... Uh, uh, CBS targets DeSantis. It, you know, just it went on and on and on. Then it was military experts issue warnings on possible U.S.-China conflict after spy balloons shot down. And and then I watched some, you know, small, I photographed this or whatever you do, screenshot it. It says, you know, uh, Chinese minister speaks to the American people. Oh, great. You know, just what I needed. And then it gets worse. Trans Army vet files complaint against Jersey, New Jersey spa after being refused entry to women's private spaces. Is this really all happening in my world, in my country? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Are our kids, uh, you know, taking uh, vaccines that we have no idea what the long-term results are going to be on them, on our children? Yeah, yeah, that's all happening. Yep. AI is writing essays for college students. Yep. Yep. All of that. All of that. And so I turned it off. I had to. You know, Syrians kneeling and praying, fearing it's judgment day because of the earthquakes, right? Thousands of people were killed. Thousands. It looks, if you look at the photographs, it's what Armageddon looks like. The aftershocks are bringing homes toppling to the ground and it's Syria too you know um and and as if things weren't bad enough in Syria right that they needed thousands of people trapped in their beds you know a a, a region that's beset by a, how long has this civil war been going on uh, uh, since uh, uh, Obama and Biden were in there You've had refugee crises where all these people are fleeing. They fled from Syria to Turkey, and now they're, you know, now they're crushed under this rubble. This was the southeastern province of Turkey, of Karamanan, um, I can't pronounce it, but it's a lot of M's. Karamanamaras. Kamanaram, oh, whatever. But the, the people who lived in Damascus were running into the street because they could feel it. They felt the aftershocks in Cairo, Egypt, and in Beirut, Lebanon. It's just, it's frightening. You know, 
things toppling. And so you, you say to yourself, okay, like how much of this should I allow into my brain and into my spirit and into my soul? And the answer is no more. Or at least that was the answer for me. And I said, uh, let me find like some really, uh, uh, you know, a simple book about a simple life and read that instead of thinking about anything. And, and I just happened upon this Kirk Douglas um, book and I'm enjoying it. Not because, you know, not because I'm learning something or I'm going to be able to use it for a show, but because he just keeps pointing out and, and he mentions how messed up the world is. And this wasn't even recently, that recently. But he keeps pointing out that in the end, the only thing you're going to think about are the people that you loved, you know, and the people that loved you. And so every now and then you just have to shut down the noise. And, and I, you know, for me to be saying this is what I do for a living, okay? So if you shut down my noise, <laughs> you know, I'm out of work. But I'm more concerned with, you know, I have such an, a, a, a love for the people who listen to my show, for the people who who are p part of this experience that I've been having for the last 33 years here in South Florida, that I, I just don't want, I don't want you to be depressed and saddened. I'm looking at these astronomical statistics about suicide in America and, and young people. And I just, we need a little, we need a little break, you know. I need to not be thinking about um, you know, where are the people, uh, what are they fleeing? Look, they're fleeing Haiti and, and being repatriated to a, a nightmare of a life. The Cubans that are being sent back to a communist country where they'll be punished for even trying to leave. And, uh, and, and tourists being stabbed in, in, in all of the great parts of Puerto Rico where, by the way, um, you know, uh, the tourists all hang out. And, and that's, that's, that's what's going on. And, and it's hard to, for me to escape it because I need to know what's going on. But I didn't watch the Grammys. I'm not that desperate, okay? I'm just not that desperate for entertainment. And, and I'm sure that there were some brilliant musical numbers. I could not tell you who won. The only thing I heard a headline this morning was that Beyonce now has the world record for Grammys or something like that. Okay. You know, um, I like Beyonce. and I'm not particularly fond of the stuff she's done in the last 10 years. But prior to that, I love Destiny's Child. I love the early Beyonce. To the left, to the left, to the, you know, those kind of songs. But now all this uh, nasty stuff that she does and, and these nasty people, uh, you know, I don't care. You know, I listen to music that's uh, uh, either uh, gospel or or oldies. You know, uh, you know, give me an old, uh, you know, Karen Carpenter song. <laughs> like you're real. I'm really, uh, you know, ratting ratting on myself, but it's true. You just got to turn it off. You know, one of my longest standing producers uh, texted me and said, you know, I long ago stopped going to the aggregate websites where all the news headlines are. I get it. I don't have that luxury though. So, you know, uh, on the weekends, I'm just not doing it. I'm not. I don't, I, you know, it's okay. I, I'll be, I'll survive. The news will get, all the bad news will still be relevant on Monday morning. Uh, they're still talking about the earthquake. They're still talking about the Chinese spy balloon. They're still talking about, uh, you know, what's going on in the UK. 
they're still talking about homelessness. It's they're still talking about the Israeli, uh, you know, whatever it was, the raids on the West Bank. They're still talking about a wildfire in Chile. They're still talking about the fire that um, took place in some Belarusian place in a funeral. And they're still talking about the the ceasefire in the Congo. They've been talking about a ceasefire in the Congo as long as I've been alive. Okay. And of course, the Pope. Don't get me started, okay? I promised I was going to be a little more upbeat today and maybe talk about some things that weren't quite as dramatic, but I just can't find it. <laughs> anyway, don't forget to download our 850 WFTL app so you too can get all of this news just streaming at you because even if you say you want to stop, you can't stop yourself and neither can I. Or go to the website, 850WFTL.com. That way you can participate in all these great contests. And instead of just listening to the news, you could go to a show at the Duncan Theater or you could go have a meal, you know? This is beautiful that there's these kind of prizes that are available at the website, 850WFTL.com, or download the app, 850WFTL. Let me take a quick break and catch my breath, and I'll be right back. So, you know, when we think of home- All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms and you can also find it on uappodcast.com homelessness or at least when i think of homelessness i think of the places where i've been in the last couple of years or in the last decade where i saw a tremendous amount of homelessness i always report when i'm in washington dc that it's mind-boggling that in the nation's capital there are many homeless people living on the street um I always tell you that when I go to San Francisco, it breaks my heart. N not just that there's so many homeless people, but that my grandsons are being raised in the center of this complete disparate world where half of the people, or no, no let me be more specific. Seven-eighths of the people who live in San Francisco are loaded, rich, because you can't afford to live there if you're not. And the other eighth are homeless because they can't afford to live there. Um, and that's what breaks my heart. Or I go to L.A., and my son lives in this beautiful, beautiful home. And I walk every day with my grandkids to the park. I pass a homeless encampment. If I take them to Sprouts or to, uh, you know, to just to, uh, what are they, that In-N-Out burger, if I walk with my grandkids there, we have to walk dead center right through a homeless encampment. So I get it. I'm, I'm familiar with these kind of homeless encampments. But I'm reading an article in the Wall Street Journal this morning that said that in Rhode Island, and I happen to have a really dear friend who's from Rhode Island, actually two dear friends who are from Rhode Island. One is the morning host who will be back tomorrow morning, Jennifer Ross. And the other one is my, my one of my closest friends' husband is from Rhode Island. And... You know, they're talking about how the, in this article in the Wall Street Journal, inside a cavernous armory building in the capital city of Rhode Island, which I assume is Providence, <laughs> you know, that's how little I know about Rhode Island, up to 185 people gather each night to get out of the cold. 
Like, I don't think people here in Florida, I think even though many of us, you know, still have roots in Northeast or out, uh, you know, in the Northwest or whatever, I think we've forgotten what it's like to be in the bitter cold. And I, can, I can't imagine being homeless in New England. I just can't. You know, I lived in Vermont for a brief period of time and uh, in an inadequately uh, heated farmhouse, which basically had wood-burning stoves and, you know, a bunch of uh, New York hippies who didn't even know how to chop wood, okay? Um, and, and I remember once going out in, in the height of the winter, probably was around like December or January. I mean, it was, it was below zero every day, right? And I went out with somebody to, and a, and a chainsaw, Never hand a chainsaw to an inner city kid. It's just not a good idea. But anyway, we went out into this cold because we had no wood. We had nothing but wood-burning stoves, and we had no wood, okay? And we didn't have any money to buy wood. So we went out with this chainsaw, and all I remember was waking up on the floor of the farmhouse with people, like, putting warm cloths on me, warm, you know, wet, warm cloths, um, because I was, uh, I was delusional. You know, the cold, like, f did something to my brain, not to mention I had frostbitten fingers and frostbitten nose and all the rest of it. But I, I know what it's like to be so cold that you don't think you'll ever get warm again. So imagine if you're homeless in Vermont or you're homeless in Maine or you're homeless in Rhode Island, in, in anywhere in New England, upstate New York, homeless in Buffalo, not a good thing. There's a lot of tension around it, Right? People falling through the cracks can't afford to live in these cities. I'm sure Providence is no different than any other city. There's a lot of rent raising and a little bit amount of, of, of uh, salary raising, so people can't afford to pay their rent. There are people here in Florida living in one-room apartments and paying $1,000 a month. You know, mind-boggling to me. Um, when I first got here, you know, the rents were so reasonable compared to New York where I came from. That was crazy. You know, whoa, yeah, you could get a two-bedroom apartment for like $450 a month. I know you could do it because my friend did. You know, I had a three-bath, three-bath, three-bedroom, two-bath house with a pool that cost $37,000 in 1977. So, you know, it, it's it's foreign to me how anybody can afford to live if they're starting out. Let's say you're just getting out of school and you, you want to raise a family. Like, what do you do? You may very well end up, and the new term is not homeless. Let's be careful here. Can't say homeless. Not allowed. Not allowed. The unhoused. That's what this article in you know in the um, Wall Street Journal has to finally resort to. They they headline is rise in homelessness hit several New England states, surging rents make affordable units hard to find. So they use it in the headline, but then throughout the rest of the article, it's all about unhoused people. Like, unhoused? I feel like we're talking about Native Americans living in tents. What do you mean unhoused? They are homeless. They have nowhere to go when it gets cold. They have nowhere to go when it rains. They're homeless. They're not unhoused. The region's fast-rising rents have inflamed the problem. In some places, after the pandemic spurred on some population growth, homeless advocates, you see, you can be a homeless advocate, you just can't be a homeless person. 
We've lost our minds, our collective minds. The issue has fueled efforts to provide more shelter in a region known for its frigid winter weather and pushes to produce more affordable housing. And then I'll get a story from, uh, you know, the, uh, the Sacramento Bee or some pa- California newspaper telling me that uh, Steph Curry, who's probably one of the highest paid athletes alive, um, and deservedly so. I mean, Steph Curry is, uh, you know, really carried the, the Golden State Warriors to victory after victory. He's a phenom, no question about it. But he's objecting to some affordable housing being put in his neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, he he doesn't care. Let him be homeless. You know, build those units somewhere else. Oh, but he's worried about his kids. Well, guess what? There are homeless people worried about their kids too. <coughs> the hypocrisy is mind-boggling. That's all I'm going to say. Because these are the, the the most liberal of the liberal. You know, the, the Steph Currys and the LeBron James that are constantly on Twitter. Oh, I love Joe Biden. Give Joe Biden more credit. Oh, we love Kamala Harris. I hope she's president. You know, all this nonsense. And meanwhile, you don't want to see homeless people, uh, you know, move into your neighborhood. Hip- hypocrites, right? Uh, people like me, conservatives and, and, and Republicans as well, you would never hear them say, oh, uh, not in my neighborhood. Well, first and foremost, if they did say that, it'd be the, uh, you know, above the fold in the New York Times tomorrow. That's just the truth. 1,600 unhoused people estimated in Rhode Island. Based on the most recent available statewide count that was performed early last year. Okay, so so now a year later, it was up 24% last year. So now... It's got, to, and that would have brought it to about 43% up from two years earlier. So what do you think now? Really? Vermont has 2,780 unhoused people living in hotels and motels, um, temporarily staying in other people's home. That, you know, th- those people aren't counted. Back it up, Wall Street Journal. The people living in their friends' houses, the people living in hotels and motels because they can't afford the rent, the people living in flop houses, they're not counted in the unhoused statistic. So if you've got almost 3,000, quote, unhoused people, you probably have more like 10,000 homeless people living in Vermont, people without their own home. Wow. You know, let me tell you something. One winter in Vermont was enough to tell me the last place you want to be homeless is anywhere in New England. Anywhere. Not Portland, Maine, not Manchester, New Hampshire, not uh, not any of that. You know, and all these people that moved up there because of COVID, you know, the people from New York City who said, I can't live like this. I haven't been allowed to go into a restaurant. I'm going to Maine. You know, all these newcomers who are no longer going in their big city offices, they have stressed what was already a tight housing market, right? So that's why in the, in the uh, state, when you keep electing people like Janet Mills to be your governor, she's the Democrat that's now the governor, and yeah, good luck. Uh, take your $180 million, including the $50 million in federal aid that's supposed to develop new affordable housing. Get, get going, you know, the people are freezing in the meantime. They had to open 30 shed-sized shelters near downtown. Now, somebody explain to me, first and foremost, what is a shed-sized shelter? Okay? 
I actually have a friend who lives in a modernized sh- uh, shed in, in one of these new, new England states. But because of what her uh, ability and her, her husband's ability is, it's all insulated, it's got running water, and the whole nine years, that's not what they're talking about. Okay, They're talking about sheds just to get in out of the cold, which they will then light fires in and blow up. Just saying. Just saying. So you're a homeless advocate, but you're an unhoused person. When are we going to take our language back? I know, I know. You've heard it all before. Well, you're going to hear a little more if you stay through this next break. I'll be right back. So, you know, look, obviously... um, I I just you know I I have this loathing for uh, most of the members of my own profession. You know, you don't want to think that you work in an industry that is so corrupt that you can't even like stand thinking about it, right? <laughs> but I do. You know, I work in an industry where I literally um have to be embarrassed sometimes. You know, I was thinking about that the other day when somebody um said to me you know, I uh, I recognize your voice. And I go through this, I, I've said this before, but I go through it all the time. Like, I don't know whether to say, yes, I am, or what. Like, I feel like I should ask them a series of questions before I admit to being who I am, right? And I'll say like, uh, oh, really, what, what, what does she talk about? What does she like? Or, you know, or, or uh, do you agree with her? Uh, and then I finally decided, what the heck, you know, I, I can't. I can't run away from being me. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not ashamed of what I do. I'm just ashamed of my profession, not my personal profession, but the other people who call themselves professional broadcasters of any kind. Now, obviously, there's a difference between people who give you their opinion and people who are supposed to be reporting the no, wait a second. There isn't any difference anymore. It's all pretty much people giving you their opinion about the news. Well, but there's a difference between you know actors and and political put. No, there there really isn't any difference between actors and political pundits anymore either. So let me see. <laughs> I'll come up with some reason why um, my profession is sideways now, and I'm. I'm literally embarrassed sometimes, not because I do what I do, but because there are so many others doing what I think is just uh, wrong, misinforming people or jumping to conclusions or inserting opinion in things that really they should be more open-minded about. Like I'm fairly open-minded about things like, well, for instance, uh, UFOs. Not that I sit around and uh, you know, study the subject. I did once upon a time really enjoy this show with uh, David Duchovny. What was that called? Uh, I don't know, but it was about UFOs. <coughs> and I did it out there, or I don't know, but uh, I did enjoy that show. And I, th- you know, I often think about: Is there life on other planets? Uh, you know, I think anybody who has had any. Um, you know, any any time to to ponder such things, wonders the same thing, right? I get that, um, and and I I'm open minded about it. Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe people who think about that are actually um, not crazy. 
Um, you know, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know this. Uh, the name of that show is The X-Files, by the way. I just Sometimes my brain is on super slow when it comes to insignificant things like, what was the name of that show? But that was the name of that show. And I enjoyed that show. But there are other things I'm open-minded about. Obviously, I was way too open-minded about COVID because I allowed a government to deceive its people and actually a World Health Organization deceive the whole world about COVID-19 and where it came from and whether or not the vaccine was even a vaccine and whether or not they should be mandatory. I fell for that. You know, I, I'm going to, you know, I have to confess, I allowed that to be injected into my body, fully believing in my heart of hearts that I was making a mistake, but I was pressured and I allowed the pressure to get to me, which tells me, which really challenges some of my opinions about myself, right? Because I never, you know, as a young person would have believed that I would ever do something simply because my government told me to do it or even because one of my children ta taught me, told me to do it. Now, granted, my daughter is a physician, so I give a little more weight to the things she tells me, but for goodness sake, you know, I changed her diapers. It wasn't the other way around. I'm smarter than she is. She's just better educated than I am. And really, when you get right down to it, she's not better educated than I am. She has a medical school degree, but her undergraduate schools didn't do half the job that State University of New York was able to do. Degrees are like, you know, if you get a degree, my daughter's undergraduate degree was in ethnobotany. Okay, she's like the bad joke that people like me tell on the air all the time. Like, oh, if you get a, a, a intersectionality degree or you get a degree in uh, women's studies, what good is it? Well, what good do you think a degree in ethnobotany was when she graduated from a prestigious Ivy League institution like Columbia? It was no good at all. She had to, you know, join the, the AmeriCorps. She had to go do Teach for America for two years in rural Mississippi because there really were no jobs for ethnobotanists, right? Not that I, you know, I think it was a lost experience. I think it was probably a fundamental experience for her to see um, what it was like to live in rural places. You know, she, she was one of these... Uh, and I must admit, so was I. Get rid of Walmarts. We want to go back to mom and pop stores until she went there and realized that, you know, people in rural communities in Mississippi, there are no small shops anyway. So if they want a pair of sneakers, it may take weeks or months for them to get them from a Sears Roebuck catalog. And when Walmart came into all these communities, everybody was able to buy the things that they needed. So, you know, she needed to see the world from a different perspective than living, uh, you know, at the University of Columbia or, or here in South Florida. And I just, I keep thinking that we have sent out the wrong message over and over again to the subsequent, you know, generations. Like, yeah, we're going to kick this debt uh, down, the, down the road a little longer. Um, you'll deal with it. You know, I used to use the analogy and it'd be like me walking into, you know, uh, Chase Manhattan Bank or, or any other bank and saying to the uh, loan officer, hey, I want to borrow, you know, $200,000. 
And the loan officer says to me, okay, but like how how do you intend on paying back this $200,000? Do you have $200,000 in savings? Do you have a house that's worth $200,000 in equity? Do you have a $200,000 IRA? Where are you going to get the money to pay back this loan? Are you making you know $180,000 a year at your job? Uh, just tell me how you're going to pay back the loan. And I, uh, I, I, I hand him a, a, you know, a picture of my son, Derek, and I say, well, I'm not going to, but he will. You know, he's rich, and he'll pay back the loan. You know, don't worry about it. Like, d does anybody think I would get the loan? No, but that's what we've done to our children's futures, right? We walked into the China Bank of China or the uh, European Union Bank or wherever these, uh, you know, big monetary funds are. We've walked in there, the IMF, and we've said, hey— Keep loaning us money, and we will uh, leave that debt to our children, and they'll pay you. That's what we've done. And we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We really ought to. But again, you know, the media, that part of the industry that I belong to, doesn't tell you that. Instead, they say, nothing to worry about. Look over here at the shiny thing. Don't worry about the debt. No, no, no. Instead, worry about white supremacy, because that's the biggest problem facing our country. I, I don't know any white supremacists. White supremacists don't, uh, you know, don't attack me. Um, and uh, we pretty much have uh, put passed enough laws that you can't get away with being a white supremacist. You know, you can't ban people from a place of employment. You can't ban them from a restaurant. You can't ban them from a form of transportation. You can't, you can't ban them from colleges or any professions. So, you know, this whole concept of white supremacy, if what you're saying is that some people think they're better than other people, that happens in all colors. Sorry. You know, that it's time to grow up, guys, and realize that this is, you know, hatred and, and bigotry of any kind is going to be with us until the end of time, okay? That's, that's quite obvious, whether it was, you know, the Pharaoh enslaving the Jews or whether it was, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Muslim uh, enslaving the Christian or whether it was the... Uh, colonizers enslaving the Native Americans, it always has and it always will be part of reality. The difference here in America is that we struggle to overcome those tendencies. We don't want to be uh, racist. That's why if you really want to stop a conversation or you really want to shut somebody up, just throw out the term racist. And inevitably, they, they back away. They can't, they can't handle it. No, 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 don't confuse me. I'm not, the, you know, they, they think right away that you're saying they wear a, a white sheet at night and burn crosses on the lawn. They don't understand that you now have a different definition of what racist is. I, on the other hand, do understand what you're doing, and it's disgusting. It's ugly, and the media is guilty of doing it over and over and over again painting one side as heroic and the other side as evil. And many people in America can't think past the tip of their nose and they buy that stuff. Anyway, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock is Dan Bongino and at 4 o'clock, and Dan did come out of his surgery. I don't know if it was shoulder surgery or whatever. Um, poor guy, he spent a lot of time in hospitals in the last couple of years. That's why you should be grateful for your good health. Anyway, his show will be on. I don't know who'll be hosting it. Maybe Dan. You know, you know Dan. Um, Four o'clock, Ben Shapiro. Six o'clock, WPTV. And then the big, 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 big 
return of Jennifer Ross tomorrow morning. I am so excited. I am actually going to turn my radio on at 6 o'clock because it feels like forever since I've gotten to hear my friend doing that morning show, and I have missed her sorely. Not that I don't think Bill and Dina do a great job. They they were, you know, yeomen. They held up the, the banner. I'm, I'm proud of them both, but boy, what she brings to that show, you never know until it's missing, right? So don't don't forget to tune in tomorrow morning for the return of Jennifer Ross. I have one segment left. Don't leave me yet. I'll be right back. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes, you know, I, I really just, uh, I, I think this information age overload that we're all experiencing is deliberate, you know? And, and that's why I look at my own profession and I say, how much of this stuff are we pumping and repeating over and over again? And how much of that is actually necessary? Like, why on earth does anybody um, really think it's a good idea to have artificial intelligence writing term papers, for instance? I mean, that seems like a simple thing, but it was a big story over the weekend. Why would we want uh, artificial intelligence to <clears throat> take a picture of you and then do like some ridiculous porn uh, with your face? <clears throat> As a matter of fact, they were talking about it on um, on Substack just this this last week, and I didn't even know what they were talking about. But apparently, there's this you know this movement um, where people uh, take your face, for instance, and they stick it on like nude bodies, and then uh, you know just for fun, and then they pass it around and. You you never know until somebody sends it to you, you know, and says like, "Whoa, this is a pretty interesting shot of you." And they always did it to ce celebrities that we know, but now they're doing it to just average people. People have way too much time on their hands. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say. We do have a State of the Union address coming up on Tuesday. That is tomorrow. And the response will be given by Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, which thrills me because her years as press secretary were some of the best. And I think that she'll, um, she'll be able to dissemble the stuff in that uh, speech. He here's the, the lies that you're going to hear by President Biden tomorrow, okay? First, he's going to claim victory over the nation's economy because the job market is strong, and that's the good news, but the American economy is not strong. It isn't even good. The last two years have been pretty rotten on almost every metric. The squeeze on family finances, inflation, immigration, a declining test scores in schools, there's a budget deficit and a debt, an out-of-control government. But here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear that he reduced the budget deficit by $1.4 trillion. Actually, no president in modern times even comes close to Joseph Biden in terms of fiscal recklessness. In his first two years, the national debt rose by more than $4.2 trillion. That's more than in any two-year period in American history, including during COVID. The deficit shot into the fiscal stratosphere of $2.8 trillion in his first year, and in 2022, it was still at one of the history's highest levels. And last year, our debt, a share of GDP, 
hit an all-time high of 129%. So he's like a school kid celebrating an improved report card because the first semester he got an F, but the second semester he got a D minus. And, and he's going to tell you that he inherited an economy in free fall. Wrong. When COVID hit in 2020, early 2020, the economy was shut down in the face of the once in a half century pandemic. But by 2020, second half, the economy soared by more than 20%, and millions of Americans were moving back into their jobs. That was a historic recovery. One week after the election, thanks to Operation Warp Speed, the COVID vaccine was denounced, which of course set the table for an even stronger recovery. Instead, the economy is limping, limping forward with a very weak economic growth rate last year, one and a half percent. Inflation was high, he's gonna tell you, when he entered office. Huh? The average inflation rate during the Trump presidency was 2%. And in January of 2021, the month that Joe Biden entered office, inflation was 1.4%. 18 months later, in the summer of 2022, inflation rose above 9%. That's the highest it's been in 40 years. And it ended the year at 6.5%, for which he wants some credit. Food prices are still so high. Let's just call it food inflation. People are buying their groceries at dollar stores, okay? Gas prices. He's going to tell you he brought gas prices down. When President Trump left office, the gas was two fifty nine a gallon nationally. In June of 2022, it was nearly double that. That's right. It was like five bucks a gallon. Today, gas is three and a half a gallon, nearly a dollar a gallon higher than when he entered office. And according to that uh, app I have, Gas Buddy, which gives you the real-time prices and projections, gas at the pump is expected to rise back to $4 a gallon this year. Then he's going to tell you, this is the biggest whopper of them all, that he's doing all he can to secure the border. He's issued 90 executive orders that undid Trump's successful border policies excluding uh, suspending stay in Mexico and all the rest of it. He's going to say he's increasing domestic oil and gas production. Wrong. Wrong. Not true. America would have produced nearly $200 billion more oil last year if not for his war on fossil fuels. We wouldn't have had to release one teaspoonful of oil from our strategic reserve. Trump issued permits for drilling on 100 million acres of federal land, Biden has issued fewer drilling permits than any president since World War II ended. Well, we'll see how many of these fact-free statements he actually repeats in his State of the Union address, but it's highly likely that the best GOP response by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, rather, would be liar, liar, pants on fire. That's kind of juvenile of Stephen Moore and me, but whatever. Felt good to say it. Anyway, that pretty much does it for me today. Don't forget the No Restraint podcast will be coming down at some point today or tomorrow. You will want to hear that. I cover a couple of different things. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, hey, uh, you know, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. Welcome back, Jennifer, tomorrow morning, and I'll see you all at noon.
The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.